Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> this is Doubtfire. Nice, nice. I to work on that. It's lovely of you to be here. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're back again. Um, I don't know when these shows are going to air, but... Uh, By Christmas time. Like maybe, that. maybe. Um, you got you got trial plans. You gonna come up uh, this way for Christmas, John? I don't know. I mean, probably New Year's time. I expect. Yeah. Um, my with our my family being spread out now, it's uh, like we're trying to get them to come here, and then you know, rather than us going up to her parents and so on. Right. So it kind of it's funny how that kind of shifts all of a sudden. <laughs> no, now we're getting to be the the ones that are at home. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're the old people. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Travis? You any travel plans this year? Yeah, I think we're gonna head back to Louisiana around Christmas time. Uh, T Rav has not spent a house a, a night outside of the house yet, mm-hmm. so I'm not super looking forward to it. But uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting. <laughs> the earlier you start, the 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 easier it is. Yeah, yeah eighteen, yeah. nineteen, I'll kick them right on out. Get them all the nice he wants out the house. Right, get him, get him used to, get him used to sleeping somewhere else. Yeah, get him used to traveling. One of these days, we got to take a trip out to go see Blickman. Yeah, yeah, that that'd be fun. Uh, we, you know, over the years we've we've talked about it, talked about it, but have never done. It. You've been there. Yep, I've been there a couple times, and we were gonna do it this past year, 2020, but of course, you know, plans shit changed. Right, right. Maybe, yeah, maybe. He, he, he promised to take me out shooting. Yeah. And yeah. the and the question was, could I shoot better than his daughter? <laughs> right? I was like, well, we'll see. Mm. I was thinking, I'll bring my daughter. We'll see whose daughter can shoot better. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Right. There yeah. we go. Um, yeah, it'd be fun to fun to go see him. Uh because I imagine it's very much like uh kind of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory oh yeah but but for brewing and so there's all sorts of things you know going on and i'd probably want to steal something and you know that would that would end up in tragedy yeah. uh you know uh yeah blickman's minions aren't as cute as the upalupas <laughs> but they're the same you know uh, same height yeah same height same, they wear the same clothing yeah a carhartt as opposed to whatever the other are overalls were but uh yeah yep yep that that is exactly how i pictured it in my head and uh 
I I'm looking forward to it because uh, you know they make amazing stuff. Blickman Engineering, you know, do. Uh, always creating, always innovating, always doing new stuff. And uh, I, I tell you, if you get a chance, uh, check it out. Check out at least their website, or you know, when you go to your local homebrew shop, ask them about Blickman Engineering and what kind of stuff they have. It's all really well made from the you know uh, more uh, you know uh, utilitarian uh, anvil series to the uh, you know the higher end uh, bells and whistles you know uh, the product series yeah and then all the way up to the uh, the pro series if you're to open a small uh, brewery or you uh, really drink a lot of beer and want to put one of those in your garage. Right. <laughs> They have that too. They can they can serve all your 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 brewing needs, and if they can't do what what you need to need to do, then uh, they'll they'll honestly tell you, um, you know that that they can't do it. And you know right. they're they're good, honest, uh, hardworking folks. So uh, if you get a chance, send them a send them an email feedback at blickmanengineering.com. Tell John Blickman how much you appreciate that he pays for the show, uh, so you don't have to. Uh, is the least you could do. Speaking of the least we could do, right? Here's a question from uh, April 21st of 2015. We got right on this one from uh, Jason in Sweden. He's asking, uh, How do breweries adjust mash pH? Hello, guys. How do larger breweries adjust mash pH uh, consistently throughout the mash? At home, it's a simple matter of adding the acid of choice and giving it a stir, but I can imagine that giving the mash a quick stir isn't so easy with a huge mash done. I guess it will also take longer for the results to take effect. Cheers, Jason. Good question. How do you do it? Well, the way we do it is we just throw some acid in, <laughs> in the push mash. Push the button. Yeah. And push the button and you know the, the giant paddles uh, get to stirring and... They're designed in a way that it churns that mash pretty good. Um, I always wanted to set up a inline dosing uh, device with a pH control. So when the hot liquor is coming in, it would check, it would add acid and adjust. So you always had a consistent water coming out the other end. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, thoroughly mixed with the water you know, as it's uh, hydrating the, the grist. Uh, the only issue I had with that was finding a reasonably priced high temperature pH probe. Uh, all the rest wow. of it is very common, easy stuff, but the probe that could handle, you know, 170 degree water, um, those aren't cheap. Right, right. So we never did that. So we just throw it in and uh, mix it up. Uh, it's pretty much what most commercial breweries do. At this point, are you measuring and adding acid or do you have a pretty good idea how much acid you need? We have a good idea of what's needed based on the water that we use and, uh, you know, what adjustments we're making. Um, uh, you know, several of the, the brewing calculators out there um, do a very good job of predicting uh, pH uh, from water adjustments. Um, uh, you know, uh, beer smith, um, brewer's friend, um, I guess brewing water. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all, all, all these, they use pretty much the same, you know, formulas and same base of knowledge and seems to work out pretty good. Um, I've had good, re good results with that stuff too. So, um, yeah, usually know, get you within a 10th. Yeah. And, 
the thing is, the more you brew a beer, the, you know, the more times you brew, the more uh, knowledge you have and the more consistent you can be. It becomes, you know, pretty easy to just look at a recipe and go like, oh yeah, I'm going to need this amount of acid or, you know, this is what yeah. I'm going to do and this is how it's going to turn out. And you, you know, pretty much spot on um, from that point. Um, yeah, usually new recipe, even we get a, within a 10th, I think I've, I've been using the, the brewer's friend one uh, most recently and mm-hmm. it's got lots of control and um, the calculations seem spot on to me. Uh, you know, I'll create something there and, and mineral adjustments and acid adjustments. And then I'll, uh, you know, have my guys brew it and boom, it's exactly the pH we were talking about. Hmm. So that's how it's done. And even on our little small brew plant, um, you know, we use a mash paddle um, if, we're, if we're thinking it's not mixing in well enough. Good. Let's see. Yeah. And if we were doing uh, this uh, inline dosing thing, I wanted, uh, you know, special controls and all this. I have Travis come out and help me do it. There we go. Yeah. There's a simple solution to these things. Don't do them yourself. Just have <laughs> your friends come and help you. Question right. from the chat. Oh, uh-huh. Um, Matthew asks about, uh, he wants to transfer from brewing a bag with propane mm-hmm. to electric. Mm-hmm. So he says, I don't have room for a three vessel system and I've heard about problems with burnt wort and rims. I know of electric BIAB, but I'm not sure if I want to try something new. With your experience and all the equipment you've used, what type of system would you recommend for five to, can, five to 10 gallon electric systems? goes on to say, you know, he's got limited amounts of time, um, space, and so on. Uh, but it's a good question, you know, going from brewing a bag, propane to electric. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. I've, I've, you done, I've done that myself. Um, I had a three-tier propane-fired uh, rim system, worked very well, and I've pretty much moved exclusively to electric uh, last few years both with the Blickman Brew Easy system. That's a, I have the five-gallon uh, version of that. And then the Anvil Foundry uh, two-and-a-half-gallon two uh, setup, and that's electric as well. Mm-hmm. That one, two-and-a-half gallons, or, you know, which is essentially a five-gallon uh, uh, vessel, Mm-hmm. But it brews a two and a half gallon batch net. Um, you can use just regular 110 current uh, voltage with that. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Blickman Brew Easy with the five with with five gallon batch size, uh, that one uses the 220, mm-hmm. and uh, that 220 will boil five 10 gallons pretty quickly. It it has the the power to to do that. Uh, yeah, I think. You know, all-in-one systems, whether you're talking about the breezy, which, you know, a little more expensive versus the grandfather and foundries and so on. Um, very easy to use, programmable. Um, they, you kind of push the button and you can walk away and get a beer if you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, they, they work quite well and they're easy to clean up. There you go. Now, Travis, you've used uh, some of these as well, right? Yeah, I actually, uh, I went from propane on a 10-gallon batch size to the Anvil Foundry, the 10.5. Oh, nice. It gives you the five gallons. And there are tons of guys that use bags in there. Um, they, I mean, it comes with a great basket. 
um, doesn't need the Bruna bag. And there's baskets that go into the, in the basket if you want. There's a ton of guys on Facebook all talking about how they put their Bruna, Bruna bag right in their Anvil Foundry tins. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it makes for a clearer word uh, than you would get without the Bruna bag. Um, a little more volume on the grain, too. Ah, okay. You know, it goes, it goes edge to edge versus the basket. It's got some space around it. Oh, I see. I see. Why the switch to electric off of propane? Just the hassle of, hassle of filling propane or why not go to natural gas? I downsize. So mm-hmm. I brew less beer, but not less often. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just seemed to make sense. Also, it's, you know, it's pretty damn hot around here. Right. And there's a whole lot of excess heat with propane that you don't get with the electric system. I imagine yeah. there's a whole lot of excess uh, natural gas at your house, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I use all my propane these days for blacksmithing. Well, there you go. And so you mentioned, uh, you know, putting a, a bag in instead of the basket. There's no danger of, uh, are the elements exposed or they're, they're uh, sequestered um, away somewhere where they won't touch the, the They're bag? underneath a flat plate. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, uh, they're sequestered, I guess you'd say. Okay. Yeah. So and when then, John's thinking about it, though, a little false bottom he could make, mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool. But uh, and some of the guys do that, but most of the guys put it right on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's, what's what's the grain limit on that for, you know, you're making a five-gallon batch. How, how many pounds of grain can you put into that? Blickman uh, advertises 16 pounds with the basket. Mm-hmm. And, you know, John and Blickman's base design, these guys are probably going 20, 21 pounds. Wow, that's that's a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's you, a good size for five gallon batch. It really is. Yeah, you can hit ten eighty five. I think mm-hmm. with uh, you with, can make you know, max, with that. max yeah. capacity. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, very nice. Yeah, I gotta I gotta try some of these things. I you know it's been so long since I've home brewed. Um, Come on out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I gotta you know that's. I, oh, when I get to travel, I'm looking for, you know, visiting some friends and, uh, and then, uh, also doing some international and visit some international friends too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to go to Texas for the homebrewers conference that was going to be in, uh, Nashville. And we had this whole thing where Travis and Peter Simons and I, and was it James who was going to drive? He was going yeah. to drive us the whole way. And we were, we had stops at breweries planned out. Uh-huh. We were going to take multiple days. We were going to go through, uh, well, we were going to go through Memphis. We were going to go, uh, yeah, we had a whole great trip planned and then the whole pandemic came, <laughs> shut everything yep. down, canceled the conference. That's quite disappointing. Yeah. It sounds like a good time. All those, all those trips, all the stops. Yeah. So we still need to do that. Still. Looking forward to it. I think even Neil Spake was thinking of coming with us. Wasn't he? I can't remember if he committed or not. I, I think he couldn't, but um, he, he was certainly interested. And then I was like, okay, well, the next year it's going to be San Diego. Okay. Fly out to Texas. We'll drive to San Diego. Nope. <laughs> that one got canceled too. So eh, what are you going to do? When's this, where's it supposed to be next year? I've forgotten already. Uh, Philly or something? Philadelphia, yeah, that's it. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll make it to Philly. Or it was um, Pittsburgh. 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 Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was thinking, but yeah, 
to Pittsburgh this time. Pittsburgh, See, they really, they really need to do the homebrews conference when it's football season. Because then I go to Pittsburgh, I can see a game, you know. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I, you know, coordinate it out so I could, uh, you know, work on my challenge of uh, seeing a game at every NFL stadium. All right, let's see here. Pretty sure I took one break already. I have a check mark next to my. Sure. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's say I did. Braun writes. Yet another thanks. Uh, I'm sure you get a million of these messages, but I'm going to add to the pile. Anyway, I just want to say thank you for the recent stainless steel show. They answered several questions that I had over the years on why sometimes stainless behaved as expected and why sometimes it didn't. Just a bit more evidence on why this little uh, podcast has made so much difference to uh, an ever increasing number of us. Jamel and Palmer simply rocked it, even though Palmer sounded like he was using the old tin can on a string method to get on the air. <laughs> Cheers, Ron. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, my audio. <laughs> yeah, well, it was six years ago. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, always nice to hear uh, hear a few a few uh, positive words. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wait, is that, is that the era when John sounded like he was in the bathroom? That could be, yeah. <laughs> Although that might be why he's saying that. The bathroom days, yes. Yeah. And in fact, he was uh, in a bathroom when he was recording those shows. He had a little, you know, a little difficulty. That was, there, I want to say, you know, my office. Yeah. Yes, and so uh, some of us do our best thinking. He would. Yeah. He would. Uh, you know, uh, podcast from the throne down there. Had to turn the shower off because it was interfering, but yeah. Right. (laughs) It sounded like he was in a bathroom because he was. Little did you know that was the case. Uh, All right. Uh, RA versus pH water adjustment. Uh, Lou writes, uh, I have very soft water. And I'm having some difficulty adjusting RA to coincide with estimated mash pH. I think I understand that RA is a predictor of what your mash pH will be. In Palmer's book, Water, there are suggested ranges of RA for beer style. I have been using uh, brewing water to calculate water additions. I can modify my water to get mash pH of 5.4 as verified by a pH meter but it seems that the RA associated with a mash of pH 5.4 always leaves me with a low out of range RA. I then usually add slaked lime or baking soda to try and get the RA into range while maintaining my mash pH. My question is this, if RA is an indicator of what mash pH will be, how much should I worry about an out of range RA if my mash pH is right on? Uh, he's attached to the brewing water uh, spreadsheet for a, a typical pale ale. He's been brewing, uh, uh, which is a, uh, a tweak of a, a pale ale recipe from uh, Brewing Classic Styles. Yeah. Don, this um, one's for you. But okay. I would say, in general, if you hit the right mash pH, yeah, you don't that's... have to worry about you know, your, your RA. Your RA is, is in is is correct at that point um the ph is is more important at that at that stage right yeah you, the whole the whole premise behind adjusted water is to hit your mash ph 
Mm-hmm. And once you've done that, then you can play with the sulfate to chloride ratio to, you know, enhance the character of the beer that you're brewing. If he has very soft water, um, that means low calcium, low magnesium, doesn't tell me what his, his, resid- or his total alkalinity is. Um, and brewing water, it's always hard to find these. Oh, here we go. I think. 70. So he's going for a final total alkalinity of 77 and a residual alkalinity of, oh, minus 27 because he's brewing a pale ale. So, well, he shouldn't be adding bicarbonate if he's brewing a pale ale. You only add bicarbonate if you're brewing a dark beer. It's, uh, I'm not real conversant with reading brewing water, so. There you go. Well, a spreadsheet. Oh, and Travis, you, you you make some water adjustments, don't you? Have uh, uh, soft water there? Well, uh, yeah, I'm using RO, so it's mm. soft as you can get. And I did try used uh, I used brewing water a little bit. And I switched over to Beersmith's calculations, and they're pretty close. But I'm not as good at following his spreadsheet. But I'm looking at this, and his lactic acid addition is zero. Mm-hmm. So is he trying to use the minerals to hit his pH yeah. and RA instead of hitting his RA and then adding the acid to hit his pH? Yeah, I think you've I think you've got a good point there. Um, sheet five adjustment summary. He's adding uh, calcium hydroxide, pickling lime, um, which if you're trying to get you know for pale ale, you're trying to get your pH down. So yeah, you're not you're not trying to so much hit your RA target as you are to hit your pH target. So you wouldn't add a base, the calcium hydroxide to the water. Um, what you'd be doing is adding the, the hardness and that's your gypsum and calcium chloride um, to add calcium, get the hardness up and that will help you help get the residual alkalinity down, help you hit that five, four pH. Um, Lactic acid would be another way to help that. Although in this case, if he's adding the calcium hydroxide, adding acid would simply counter that. So if he just dropped the pickling lime uh, from his his uh, recipe, that would help. Then he would then he wouldn't need the acid potentially. And then not focus so much on the RA because the yeah. If if he's if he has the pH meter to measure his mash pH, then yeah. Um, the RA is RA is the guideline, pH is the goal. I like that. Okay. Good way that, that's a good sentence that people need to remember, I think. All right. Good, good. There you go. Good answer. All right. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack 
stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're uh, answering your questions about uh, this, that, and the other thing. All of them seem to be centered around brewing, which is quite nice. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know how that happens, but, you know. Uh, I've got really. one here for you, Jamil. That's oh, right up uh-huh. your alley. Okay. William Go asks, right up my alley. Yeah. When you are entering competitions, mm. were you more successful using first-generation yeast or a later generation? Uh, always later generation. Um, it tended to be around generation like three or four or pitch three or four, um, that, uh, you know, repitch three or four that the yeast really kind of dialed in and, um, you know, really, you know, turned out some great beers. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if you asked that around the time of the setting aside part of your starter to save, mm-hmm. which would still be first pitch, right? Uh, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Cause we'd be looking at the adaptation of that culture to that specific recipe. Mm-hmm. Right. The recipe to the environment you're putting it in, you know, people don't think much of it, but um, you know, just, just the way temperatures are in, in your brewery and you know, how they change over time, you know, what your temperature control is like um, you know, what the vessel shapes are like. Uh, the work composition, you know, any nutrients that you add, when you add them, when you're adding oxygen or not, or and how much, um, you know, every little subtle thing actually makes a difference in the in the in the environment of yeast. It'd be like you know, people don't really think much about it, but imagine if you're in your house and uh, you know, all of a sudden it gets really hot. And then it gets really cold and then it gets really hot and really cold. Or if there's, you know, small gentle changes that occur over a longer period of time, how does that affect you? You know, um, if, uh, you know, the food you're eating is, you know, you're eating a bunch of, you know, simple sugar and eating a lot of candy and you're not getting any, you know, uh, protein, um, you know, how does that affect your body? You know, what's your, What's your mental attitude going to be like? How happy are you? You know, and how able are you to do the work that you need to do? You know, we need to think of yeast more like that, that the environment that you put them in and the, you know, material you give them to work with and the, the food and the nutrients you give them to work with determine how successful they will be in accomplishing the job you want them to do. Um, and if you don't provide them that right environment, they'll, you know, they'll suffer and they'll, they'll do a less spectacular job for you. And all those little changes over time, you know, they get used to it. The ones that don't like that environment, they quit your company, they quit your job and they leave. Right. 
and they, they flock out, they fall to the bottom or they die or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the ones that like the way that you run your business, uh, you know, they'll, they'll continue to, to work hard and they're, they're there for you. And so you start kind of training the yeast to, you know, thrive in the environment you're providing. You know, it's different than when they grew the yeast. It's different than, you know, even a starter or something like that. Um, you know, there's these slight differences that they, they kind of adapt to. Um, and, you know, after a, a few repitches, you know, it gets really dialed in. I think it tends to be the best, uh, at least in my experience. It was. Sums it up pretty well, I think. All right. Well, and uh, we've got a yeast pitching rate question. Uh, from Daniel, he writes, uh, Dear Jamel and John, uh, I will dispense with the usual fawning as I know you enjoy brief questions. <laughs> I don't know. I like some fawning too. I mean, those, those, you know, if you, you keep the question brief, but still lay on some fawning, I'm just saying. Uh, suffice it to say that your books and shows have added considerably to my brewing skills. So thank you. Well, that's not some bad. That, that's some pretty mm -hmm. decent yeah. fawning right yeah. there. Uh, my question in brewing beers such as uh, Belgian Golden Strong and other high gravity styles with lots of simple sugar adjuncts, you often recommend adding sugar a little at a time after primary fermentation begins to slow to avoid the yeast uh, adapting out of the maltase enzyme. Do you then uh, pitch at a rate for the gravity of the yeast originally encounter or at the rate for the total equivalent gravity you uh, were you to add the sugar in at the beginning. I suspect the first one would work better, but uh, if you could clear this up, I would appreciate it. Yours, Dan. So in general, you know, if you're doing, you know, 10% or less of simple sugars in a beer, in general, the yeast can, can handle it and then we'll ferment that out. When you start getting up like 30, 40%, you're trying to do something really high, Mm -hmm. um, you will need to, you know, meter that in. The issue becomes if there's a, uh, a very high level of simple sugar in the wort, when you start, the yeast may just process that simple sugar and not really uh, consume all the maltose. So you end up with a overly sweet beer that does not finish out. If you are going to dose in more sugar later on, you can kind of go either way. You have to kind of figure out, you know, what exactly your addition is. You can generally, I prefer to pitch on the higher side. I tend to pitch for the uh, total amount of sugars that's going in. What, what would be the, the, you know, high gravity when you're, when you're starting. Yeah. There's a limit to that too, you know, um, but uh, generally you do that because it isn't going to negatively impact the beer to pitch higher. It's very difficult to over pitch a beer. It's easy to under pitch. So I would pitch the greater amount. Um, you'll still get a lot of growth. You'll still get, you know, um, a lot of the flavor development that comes from the, the growth of the yeast as well. Um, when we do, we did a, um, 16 and a half percent beer just using uh, cal ale yeast you know you you dose with sugar so you you ferment out your maltose first and then um you start dosing with uh sugar on a regular basis you know once a day a couple times a day you give it a, a shot of of the simple sugar and um 
uh, you know, some fermentation aids, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, the, um, my memory. Fermade or? Fermade. Uh, yeah, one of those, uh, you know, a, a little tiny bit of Fermade in there along with, uh, you know, the simple sugar and you give it a shot of that on a regular basis and um, you can drive beers up to, you know, considerable uh, ABV. And if you manage it right, uh, they turn out pretty smooth and pretty easy drinking. Mm-hmm. Pretty, uh, pretty surprising. Yeah. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, we'll pitch for the bigger beer. But if, if I was doing something and really pushing it far, I may not um, uh, actually uh, pitch for that for the biggest one. If you're doing something really insanely huge, like 25%, I'm not sure I would add all that yeast at the very beginning. Uh, but I'd be very particular about the nutrition that I was giving the yeast so that they were able to uh, maintain their their health to uh, yeah, not die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's I've I've heard the the same opinion from other uh, brewers. You know, when brewing strong beers, to pitch based on the total gravity of the beer, not just the initial gravity. And the same goes when like doing multiple fermenter fills. Well, it depends on, you know, the, the, the timing as well. Yeah. 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 Depending on how much you're staggering it, how long over. Travis, have you ever done any of the uh, dosing of sugar for a high gravity beer over time? I'm, I'm trying to remember when I have or haven't. I know I'm a Belgian golden strong. I add that sugar up front. Um, and you have, you have a great Belgian golden strong worry, right? Mm-hmm. Do you add all that sugar up front or do you dose that? Uh, yeah, we add it up front. Yeah. So there's a, like you said earlier, there's a threshold on that, right? Right. What is your percent of simple sugar? Yeah. I mean, generally if you're, you know, doing something 10% or less, I, I just add it all, all up front. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't run into any issues with the beer, not attenuating fully consuming all the maltose. Yeah, I, uh, I did, but I don't think I had good yeast health, uh, Mm. I did a Belgian dark strong and I just, it didn't finish out. Right. Yeah. They can be, they can be temperamental. Um, can, and depending on the strain can take a lot of heat as well to get them to, to go and finish. And um, if they're really high gravity, it'll, it'll slow them down, bog them down. You need to make sure that you're using, um, you know, all the appropriate nutrients and uh, oxygen and we'll even, you know, dose with more oxygen to keep something going, you know, all that information about, oh, you don't want oxygen getting into your beer once it's started fermenting is, is not quite true. Um, you can add oxygen to the beer when it's fermenting. Um, and some, sometimes you really want it like in, uh, brewing a really strong beer, you'll give it an extra dose of oxygen. Um, you're brewing uh, British ales, you know, um, that's one of the things that they did with the double drop and all that was aerate the wort after fermentation had already started. Yeah. It's a big part of that. I uh, think having active there. fermentation is the key. You right. need the yeast to be active to take up that oxygen and exactly. use it mm-hmm. rather than just oxidizing the wort. Right. Well, and you know, there's yeast in there for a long time, even after, you know, it looks like fermentation stopped. Um, it, it is in packaging that you got to be careful that you're not introducing oxygen once the yeast have pretty much stopped doing what they're doing. 
um, that that can really really cause a problem. Uh, let's see here. Got another question from the chat. All right. Graham asks, what would you guys use for an airlock when aging is sour with lacto and Brett? I'm concerned in case oxygen can find its way in through a standard airlock, and I don't want to fully close the vessel as there will be some fermentation going on. Um, currently oh. planning to use a vented silicon bung, but I want to be sure this is the best option. Aging in a 10-gallon oak barrel, so it would be significant O2 ingress through the barrel, so don't want to have more from the bung. Mm, okay. I'm trying to avoid yeah. acetic. Right. I, you know, uh, back in the day, I collected a lot of information about um, the various uh, ways of sealing off like a carboy. So I used to do, um, you know, uh, a Flanders Red in glass carboys. And the question is, what kind of stopper do you use? So you can use a stopper that pretty much closes it off, or you could use, uh, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or you could, you know, put it in a plastic bucket. You're trying to mimic the, you know, oak barrels that they use in Flanders, which, you know, um, somebody did the calculations on this, you know, there is massive oak uh, fooders. And the surface area to liquid is, you know, rather low. And so they don't get a whole lot of oxygen. And what I found, uh, what uh, somebody, I did a presentation on this so long ago. The uh, closest to uh, matching that is um, one of those rubber, rubber carboy caps or plastic carboy caps. Oh, okay. Uh, the plastic bucket's too much. Okay. It's a little plasticky red yellow carboy caps you put right. one of those on it's just about the right diffusion uh to match hmm. that and it really does work quite well um there's other things people try like you know oak pegs and um you know that can work but uh the the carboy cap was was the best one now if you're already in a barrel i'm assuming you know it's not that he's not using these massive fooders, you know, it depends right. on what he's making. So there's quite a bit of surface area already, especially yeah, small 10 barrels. Gallons. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of air that goes in uh, because there's a huge amount of surface area for a small amount of liquid. Um, so you're going to, you're, you're going to have to uh, kind of uh, keep an eye on it. You can put whatever bung on there you want. Um, vented silicone is fine, um, keeps it from uh, popping off. Uh, what you may need to do is check that and see how it's progressing. And it may get to a point where it's gone a little bit far. At that point, I would take it out of the barrel uh, and continue aging it in stainless uh, with you know, okay. no, no oxygen present. And right. let, let the rest of the process go without uh, introducing more oxygen. And that seems to help quite a bit. Yeah, that's how I've done a couple of my sours is um, just adding the bacteria and then sealing them up in a corny keg because, mm -hmm. you know, I knew they weren't going to exceed that pressure. Right. Um, you'd be surprised at how much pressure it can build. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, we do a beer called uh, Taffle Bully that uh, uh, Matt's Daily, uh, that was his, uh, his recipe was first beer we ever brewed at heretic yeah and um what we do on that is we will add brett 
and it never uh, gets oxygenated when we have the bread. It ends up um, sealed in stainless all the time because stainless aging. And there's always a little bit of oxygen that, that gets through, but really um, it develops a great character that's different than if you age it in you know, wood or something with a lot more oxygen. Hmm. Um, so the amount of oxygen that it gets, uh, is always, uh, you know, uh, people asked me in the past, if you could just, you know, like crack open the corny keg and introduce some oxygen, you know, on a regular basis. And I imagine you could, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that rate would be, <laughs> right? but you could probably hook up something, you know, to uh, a metering pump of some kind to the, uh, you know, the dip tube and blow in a bubble of air, you know, uh, once a day or whatever it would be. And, uh, you know, it may, may have a, you know, a great effect. I don't know. I've never done it, but thought about it. Uh, Donnie was asking, Hey guys, uh, when brewing a Berliner Weiss, a 15-minute boil is usually standard, even in brewing classic styles, I find book. Uh, can you explain how DMS is avoided? Maybe I'm just confused about how DMS is formed. Love the show, the literature, and all of the help you have provided over the years. Thanks, Donnie. So DMS for a Berliner Weiss mm-hmm. wheat malt as opposed to barley malt. How much wheat? Is it 100%? 50-50? A lot of times it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that, John. Yeah, I I'm I don't know that wheat malt doesn't have SMM, so not that it wouldn't have DMS. Um, hmm. Right. I don't know. Um, it depends on the malting. So you can have paler malts that are, you know, low in SMM and not an issue. Yeah. I mean, it. I've always wondered about this myself as well, and. Uh, you know, it could be possible that, uh, you know, something else in the process, uh, the bacteria or, you know, other things you add could be, you know, consuming SMM or DMS that, that's left over after the, uh, after the beer is uh, boiled. Yeah, I don't know. Is I mean, that might eat up? Uh, possibly. I mean, they, you'd be surprised at what yeast uh, can consume. They're quite, quite... Uh, quite active um you know there's you know bacteria that will consume all sorts of you know compounds uh our yeah maybe the lacto would just absorb the sulfur yeah our, our lab guy he worked on bacteria for his phd bacteria for um consuming you know harmful chemicals and breaking them down at you know super fun sites so i mean anything's possible <laughs> But, uh, you know, if you're concerned about it, you, you go ahead and boil for 60 minutes. You're really not going to hurt anything. Yeah, um, that's true. The, you know, people used to worry about color development and boiling. They're like, well, I don't want to boil and, you know, have it turn out darker. The only reason it looked darker to you is because it lost volume. And so what color is there becomes concentrated and that's what makes it look darker. If you add back water, it turns back to the same color as it was before. I mean, there's very little color development from actually from boiling. Um, that's just one of the things that's been in the literature that you're developing color in boiling. It's like, mm, not really. Uh, interesting, uh, Chris Colby, he has a video somewhere of him, you know, he 
boils it and then, you know, waters it back to the same volume and colors the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's absolutely, you know, I can imagine maybe you're getting some tiny bit of color development, but it's really not much. Uh, so, you know, feel free to boil your Berliner Weiss for 60 minutes. I don't think that's an issue or 90, uh, get rid of any SMM if you're using, right. especially a Pilsner malt that, you know, really light colored malt that has tends to have a lot of SMM. De- again, it depends on how it was malted. Some of them do, some of them don't color is a pretty good indicator, but not a hundred percent. And then like John's saying, um, we, yeah, we got to look up and find out if, uh, yeah. Wheat malt has uh, less SMM. Um, yeah, interesting. I know, question. I, I know where I check for that. It just maybe it's not in there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's in there. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I may have written it down and forgot. Who knows? Right. Or you could go to the MBAA uh, website you and uh, do a little search there. Yeah. All right. I had uh, a oh. follow-up question for you, okay. Jamil. Yeah. Um, Graham asks, he says it's a Flanders that he's planning, and there's currently red wine aging in that barrel. Um, how often would you test it, bearing in mind every test introduces more O2? Mm-hmm. Also, would you keep topping up the barrel as it evaporates like you do with wine? You, you know, so he puts the beer in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Does he top it up for Flanders? So, um. We talked about barrel we, aging in the barrel shows. Yeah. I think we addressed uh, this, but so maybe not for Flanders. It depends on the beer and what you're doing in the environment. Um, you know, a lot of folks, myself included, stopped topping up. Um, you know, we'll do like one top up. So Vinny does the same thing. He'll top up once and then that's it and just leaves it for the rest of the time. If you're in an environment where you're getting a lot of evaporation, where you're really losing a lot of liquid from the barrel, um, I would recommend topping up, you know, uh, for, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get very little evaporation, I wouldn't, wouldn't bother with it at all. Um, yeah, when you open it up, um, you're exposing to more oxygen, but it's really, you know, if if the surface area is small, it's really not any more than you're already getting with your barrel. I mean, just don't slosh it and splash it. That's worse. Um, but yeah, if you're, if it's a small barrel and you're taking samples, I would put some, some, uh, uh, beer back in it because you just don't want to end up with a very large surface area across the top and you don't want to end up with, hardly any beer left when it comes time to package. Yeah. I would check that. I would, um, in a, you know, again, it depends on the environment, depends on the type of barrel, how thick the barrel is. Um, if it's a wine barrel, it's, it's, you know, generally thicker. Um, you know, if it's a spirits barrel, they, they're impossibly thin. Um, and I would, uh, I'd start out maybe, you know, Give it, give it, uh, you know, maybe uh, six weeks or a couple months, you know, test it. And then maybe again in another, you know, depending on how far it's gone at that time and how, how it's progressing, um, you know, maybe you need to do it every, you know, two weeks or maybe it's like uh, nothing's happening at all. You can give it three months. 
Okay. So you kind of let, let the flavor be your guide, but every, you know, um, generally, you know, six weeks in between is, is not a problem. A couple months, um, depends on the barrel and all that. If it's going quickly or you think it's getting close, you know, I would check it every week. Okay. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Uh, times again, some, some great questions in there. Uh, yeah. I Graham was coming up with some good ones um, about uh, barrel aging and oxygen and all that. Here's one from uh, Sean. He says, good day from down under. <laughs> I have a question about an elusive part of brewing a good beer. Uh, you guys sometimes describe a beer as starting sweet, but finishing dry. For example, in Jamel's first appearance on the session, they are drinking one of his Scottish ales where the crew gives this description. In brewing classic styles, the Scottish ale recipes have over a pound of crystal, which is sometimes pointed to as the scapegoat of sweet finish. Can you discuss the sweet dry balance in terms of the start and finish of the taste? What causes a sweet finish in the beer and how can you avoid it? Is it just under attenuation or can a well attenuated beer still have this problem? Thanks for the incredible resource that is the Brewing Network. I think I listen to your shows more than I actually brew beer. Cheers, Sean. How long ago was that session show where they were drinking your... Uh... 94 or 96 or <laughs> whatever it was whenever it first started it, i was it was only a, a few weeks in i think or maybe a month in before i was on a show john please was uh doing this with justin and uh he was like come on you gotta be on the show <laughs> it, you know and uh so i did it for john and then uh yeah i kind of enjoyed it it's fun i think i did another episode and then uh we're just like, all right, we'll do our own show. And so John and I started doing, uh, John Plissé and I did uh, uh, the uh, Jamel show. Jamel show, right. It was supposed to be called um, Brewing with Style or something like that. And Justin's like, no, we're just calling it the Jamel show. <laughs> I'm like, all right. We, we, we thought we had a good name. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we did, I think it took us three years to get through all the styles. It was yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I had to drive down to the Bay Area. It took me like at least an hour to get there. Yeah, an hour and a half. And uh, I'd be, you know, we would do it at like eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. And then after that, I'd go into work, and then after that, I'd drive back home. Uh, some some days, Justin would just be like, just crawled out of bed. <laughs> We'd let ourselves in. Sit there, get ourselves ready. I reminisce. Back to the question. Uh, right. So sweetness and dryness, there's a lot of things that can affect that. And you can get, um, you know, a, a sweetness up front from alcohol. 
various alcohols. You can also get that in the finish. So you can have a fully attenuated beer that finishes sweet or starts sweet and finishes dry. Um, there was also a show where Tasty brought two, uh, I think, Belgian Goldens or, or triples or something like that. And I tasted both of them and I'm like, wow, this one has a, a sweeter finish. Yet that one had attenuated more and was drier. So uh-huh. sometimes the attenuation of the malt frees up the alcohol to taste sweeter. You know, it's kind of like in hops when you have something less attenuated, how it can mask the, the hop character, you know, um, actual sugars, uh, you know, maltose, things like that being present can actually suppress in a way the, the, the sweet character of some of the alcohols. Alcohol can also be bitter and you can have bitter alcohol flavor. Um, there's the tannins, uh, you know, from roasted malts or from hops. They can be counter to uh, sweetness and provide a dryness. Um, crystal malts. The interesting thing about a lot of these crystal malts is, and we talked about this a couple of shows ago, I think, John, you mentioned uh, Crystal 60. Right. Uh, and, you know, the staling uh, factor of Crystal 60. So it depends on what crystal you use. And also depends on, uh, you know, these, these crystal malts, they are fermentable, not totally fermentable, but they have a fermentable um, bit to them. Uh, and if you get that fermented out as well, yes, you can have that caramel note or that crystal note without it being overly sweet or too sweet. Um, so, you know, it's all about the balance that, that you hit. Um, uh, you can also have water. Uh, Travis sent me a, a beer and I was like, you know, there's, there was a kind of a sweetness to it in the start. And then there was a, a dryness to it in the finish. And, um, you know, we started looking at water as, as one of the possible, you know, things to adjust there. You know, there was, there was quite a bit of crystal in it too. And, and, uh, you know, our Kara, Kara malts. Right. And so we're thinking, well, maybe that's too much. That was my initial thinking. Uh, but then, you know, looking at the water, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, let's, let's adjust the salt in there and see if that, you know, what change that has, maybe that's the way to go. So, you know, this, this is a uh, long roundabout way to kind of say, it just depends on the individual beer. Yeah, I'd have to taste the beer and then tell you what I think was the, you know, why it's sweet or why it's dry. Um, you know, but you have a lot of controls to adjust a, um, a beer, sweetness, mm-hmm. dryness. Um, and it's, it is the malts, sure. It's the yeasts as well. It's pitching rates. It's fermentation temperature. It's, um, you know, the nutrients that are present, all those can, you know, will affect tremendously the sweetness of a finish of a beer, uh, you know, whether it's sweet up front or, or dry or, you know, uh, same thing on the end. Uh, so that's huge. And then, you know, it's, it's those ingredients as well. Um, and you, you have the ingredients you can adjust. Uh, for sweetness, but also the tannins, roast, things like that, that right. will contribute to a balancing uh, kind of dryness. Um, so those are the kind of controls you have. Um, 
You guys got anything else to add to that one? I, I just think the, the bitterness units to gravity units is a good way to kind of gauge that. Um, you know, for Scottish ale, you're look, you're in that half to one um, ratio, you know, half the bitterness of total gravity points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about where the balance of those beers are. Um, and maybe a little higher, maybe, you know, if you've got, you know, is a proportionally more crystal malt in your Scottish recipe, then you'd kick up the, the bittering addition of your hops, you know, another five, 10 IBUs maybe uh, just to get that balance back. So mm-hmm. um, you, you don't necessarily have more hop flavor in a Scottish ale, but you would have balancing bitterness to balance that sweetness from the malt. Yeah. You know, I used to, um, you know, include all that in uh, like when I did BYO articles, when I, when I did the style profile column for eight plus years, um, I liked putting in the, that ratio, but I think that really only applies to some of the, you know, or let's say this, it applies to a lot of those beers. It does not apply to um, a lot of the modern hoppy beers. Right. I mean, right. that it, it's worthless information on there. I mean, it's got some value, but your IBUs are, you know, through the roof right. on some of these beers yet. They're not bitter. Right. Um, so it works on a lot of those classic styles, but, but maybe not on the, on the more modern styles. And yeah, uh, hops again are a nice, uh, you know, counterpoint to some of the sweetness. Um, and it's shocking. Um, you know, a lot of it is yeast driven. You can take the same wort, ferment it with a different yeast, and one will be sweet and one will be dry. Right. You know, they'll have different colors. It'll taste like you, you added crystal malt to something or took it away. Or, you know, uh, it's always just stunning to me to see how different the words turn out from uh, the same yeast. But there you go. That's a big part of uh, how you do it. All right. Another fine show. Brought to you by our fine sponsors, uh, Blickman Engineering. Check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. I think I failed to mention Brew Chatter. Uh, our good friends, uh, RJ and Josh, out in uh, near Reno there. They've got a Sparkle. wonderful shop with uh, mm-hmm. uh, a great little bar in there and fresh ingredients and uh, great equipment and lots of knowledge. Good folks out there. If you have to be out their way, go check them out. Say uh, John and Jamel and Travis sent you and uh, uh, have some fun down there for me. Uh, I'll be out there uh, in a week. So uh, if you're listening live, uh, I'm talking a week from now. If you're listening to the podcast, I uh, know. Months ago. Uh, yeah, it happened. 2015, yeah. <laughs> right? It, it happened in 2015. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone. Bruce Strong, everyone.